Shachtan, an Indo Askelige. Time in Mon Irok the Yen of Chacht Erachor, Agasuligum, a Makan Shaw, Gurfeder Echor, Inuik Kart, Len of Winterfein. Skilti, Fis, Turmi. Tashe Dochretche, Nach Vetok, Ara, Igornamion, and Kestian Echo. Vien Talam again Omgrev, Orkar Nrachtum. Find us on all the usual podcast platforms. This week on Crime World... There was a Republican police from 1920. I mean, the IRA was effectively trying to run an underground government. And actually, there was a crime wave. 1919, 1920, there's a wave of bank robberies, post office robberies, robberies of individuals, robberies of pubs in Dublin and in rural areas as well. So the IRA tried to actually clamp down on that. They, on occasion, solving bank robberies and giving the money back to the banks. Now, I'm Nicola Talent, and you can listen to my podcast, Crime World, wherever you get your podcasts. Listen and follow the Left Wing Rugby podcast with me, Will Slattery and Luke Fitzgerald. As far as I can see, I always want to get in the Irish team. And that should be every young player's dream and ambition in this country. And if you're playing in a place where you're not going to get the opportunities in the big games, that they're the ones that get you picked. They are the ones, the Champions Cup games are the ones that get you picked. You need to be playing in a team and starting in a team for those games. It's as simple as that if you want to play in the Irish team. Every week on Apple, Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. Bitterness, resentment and bullying allegations. How high drama came to the Abbey Theatre. Over 300 Irish theatre practitioners have signed a letter claiming the Abbey Theatre's use of bought-in productions is damaging employment in Irish theatre. Immediately, you know, you had all the kind of politicians going, oh my God, you know, all our great artists are being treated terribly by these two lads over from Scotland. And there was an immediate Oireachtas hearing within a few weeks. They became a lightning rod and, and they definitely would have thought that a lot of that, that had a xenophobic kind of tinge to it, that who are these Scotsmen, even though one of them's Welsh, running our national theatre. Almost three years on from the acrimonious departures of co-directors Graeme McLaren and Neil Murray, the National Theatre's costs over the controversy are believed to have surpassed one million euro. We have all these investigations to look into RTE, but none of those committees have gone near the Abbey and looked at the serious financial concerns, you know, where these bills are totting up to where they're over a million euro now. I'm Tabitha Monaghan, and today on the Indo-Daily, I'm joined by Sunday Independent journalist Mark Thai to discuss the fallout following his interview with the pair, their first since the whole saga unfolded. Mark, over the last number of years, there's been a growing amount of acrimony within the Abbey Theatre, maybe putting it mildly. There was an open letter, there was bullying and harassment allegations um, against one of the co-directors. But can you take us back maybe to 2016 and how this all started? So 2016, the Abbey was just coming off its centenary year, a very successful programme there. Also a bit of controversy at the end of the term, 10, 11 year term of Fabian Cungle, the previous CEO who kind of run the place solely. The, the waking the feminist movement had happened in the late 2015 over the lack of you know female playwrights and female representation. These women have not failed themselves. We have failed them. And I'm looking around today and seeing women whose work I respect so much, and I know that they too have been kept at arm's length. 
kept off this stage, kept out of programming positions and kept quiet. There was a new rush and they brought in these two guys from the Scottish National Theatre, Graham McLaren and Neil Murray. I'm Graham, I'm the Scottish one. We thought we would start by talking about what attracted us to uh, give up our happy lives <laughs> uh, to come here and be even happier. In essence, it's really the Abbey. So Graham Claren would have been the, on the artistic side, you know, he's a former ballerina, as he'd say himself, long hair, very much into the artistic side and driving that, being creative. Lots of ideas for getting the, the Abbey out of its building, in, out around the country, you know, doing Abbey tours, that kind of stuff, bringing in new kind of, new kind of shows. And then on the finance side with Neil Murray, uh, short hair, shorter man, Welsh man, very much in charge of the finances and kind of a, a yin and yang. The Abbey does get six million euro, but that six million gets swallowed up remarkably quickly by running that building on Abbey Street. So we're trying to make the most we can of that money. Like I, I've interviewed them recently in Glasgow and you can see how they dovetail nicely with each other. You know, both have big passion for theatre, both have different strengths and they kind of complement each other well. And they would probably say, and they have said, that their tenure was successful. Yeah, so they had a five-year, initial five-year tenure, uh, 2016 to 2021, and they say they were given a brief to help improve the Abbey's finances. You know, they, they had low reserves in 2016 following the centenary programme, and they, they wanted commercial success, but they also wanted artistic success, not just the old Sean O'Casey, the old reliable plays, I suppose, that the Abbey is known for. They wanted to kind of take the Abbey out of its state reputation and get people who'd never been in the Abbey before. And they would say they very much delivered on all those fronts and exceeded the kind of board expectations and board targets for both on the what was in the play, on the on the boards, you know, in the Peacock Theatre, and very much so on the financial side as well. They, they left the Abbey in a better place. And, you know, they secured government funding for the huge redevelopment of the Abbey Theatre, the, the actual building itself, which ultimately still hasn't happened. Tell me about the open letter that was in 2019. Yes, yeah, so just coming into the third year of their tenure, they brought in a show, a big successful Broadway musical, Come From Away. September 11th, 2001. Over 200 planes getting diverted. Even with all the hotels in town, we've got no room. With thousands of passengers arriving at any minute, the town is asking for help with, well, anything you can do. We barely know where we are. It was about a recent kind of hit set during 9-11 where all these passenger planes had to divert to Newfoundland. And so they said there's an Irish connection. Newfoundland's got a big, strong Irish connection. It would be the European premiere in Dublin. It, it was a box office smash here, very successful. But there, there were two Irish members in the cast, but who were based in Dublin. There were Irish musicians involved, but... Uh, there was a lot of upset in the Irish community that this was a kind of a commercial hit, not what the Abbey is for, and that Irish actors didn't really get cast in it. The fact that it was just parachuted in on top of everybody, um, like your Christmas gig in the Abbey, get some actors over the line and into the new year. It's a I've heard it referred to as turkey and ham money. Yeah, it's, it showed a sense of ignorance or arrogance, I'm not sure what, but just, just to think that it was okay to do all that was to say, here, here's a show on its way to the West End and it's going to stop off here for a while. None of you are going to work in it. And this sparked this open letter, 312 playwrights, actors, well-known people signed this, published in the Irish Times, you know, giving out stink about the lads, their hiring practices, saying, you know, it was leaving uh, the artistic community bereft. Immediately, you know, you had all the kind of politicians going, oh my God, you know, all our great artists are 
being treated terribly by these two lads over from Scotland. And there's an immediate Oireachtas hearing within a few weeks. You know, the, the Abbey's dragged in, the actors are brought in to kind of say, give their speak. There's there's talk of them running a blacklist that McLaren was basically blackballing people who had signed the letter from being in the theatre. And this is, you know, stringently denied by Neil Murray, who was at that hearing. And so things got very heated. Yeah, they, were, they became a lightning rod. And, and they definitely would have thought that a lot of that that had a xenophobic kind of tinge to it that, you know, who are these Scotsmen, even though one of them's Welsh, coming in and telling us, or running our national theatre? I think when we arrived, there was a sense of we were slightly Celtic brothers, kind of a Scottish guy and a Welsh guy, you know, and there was a, a warmth about that reception and a warmth about the ideas that we were bringing um, when we were first appointed. And as things hit the rocks in, I suppose, 2019, that mood changed. And we would start to hear things particularly, you know, for example, from our own board, things like, well, you don't quite understand how things are done in Ireland, or, um, or that's not how things are done here. And it started to, there was a, almost a niggle of that we were never quite going to be Irish enough. Even, you know, we had Robert Bala, a well-known artist, questioning that and pointing out all these other culture institutes run by people from the UK and say, you know, is it is it the fact that no Irish need apply? You know, so that's kind of the heightened kind of nationalistic fervor that was in around them as well as, you know, the criticisms that a lot of people would say is justified of their their practices. Brought the Abbey a lot of focus and a lot of attention, but that wasn't all that was going on. It wasn't just the open letter. What else happened in 2019? Yeah, so in March that year, and basically three uh, bullying and harassment allegations were made against Graham McLaren, the, the the Scottish part of the of the duo, the artistic side, saying that you know he he mistreated actors. One of the complainants, um, they said, you know his behaviour had been outrageous. He'd switched like the drop of a hat. No filter, unprofessional. No compassion. No grace. No charisma. And simply no respect or trust for his own team nor any respect for Irish theatre, what the Abbey Theatre stands for and what Irish creatives can offer the Abbey. There was a sense in which people would be very charming and very nice, very welcoming, very polite to me uh, in person and in text messages and in emails. And then it became clear to me that whenever I left the room, there was another thing being said. I was being called names and I was being gossiped about. Now, I understand that that is part of what happens in every work environment and the boss gets a bit of flack whenever they leave the room. But this was unchecked and unchallenged and indeed, as has transpired, was encouraged. I don't know the full detail of all the complaints, but that sparked off a almighty for in uh, the artistic community, but also in the Abbey and the Abbey board, which is run by a very well-respected and eminent uh, economist, Francis Ruan, who'd come in in 2017, again, for a five-year term, kind of overlap with the two guys. Francis Ruan would be a bit of a quango queen. You know, she's uh, so well-respected. Everyone wants her on the board. So she was given that prominent position as as Abbey chairwoman. She immediately brought in the lawyers, Arthur Cox, the, the most expensive and most renowned solicitor's firm in the country, to advise the Abbey and they basically brought in then a barrister, Rosemary Mallon, to run an investigation into the whole thing. And this led to McLaren. There was talk about suspending him, but he was basically put on sort of restricted duties. A protocol was put in place. Couldn't cast whoever he wanted. He had to run it by a series of other people. He couldn't attend certain meetings if they were anything to do with uh, the whole 
investigation. So this led to Neil Murray having more work to do, you know, because one half, you know, his partner couldn't attend some of these meetings, you know. My own workload increased hugely. And also it felt as though I, I had to become the, almost the sole public face of the Abbey during that period because of the the kind of cloud that was hanging over Graham that, that as we now know, was almost spun out to a two-year period. It meant that I was really put under a lot more pressure. How did this all come about in the first place? You know, you said that the the big lawyers were brought in. Was that the intention of that first actress that spoke about those harassment allegations? Definitely not. Through my investigations and, and queries in recent months, I've got a kind of paper trail and the two guys agreed to be interviewed by me. And, you know, they were aghast when they, through their own process, Gray McLaren employed Donald Spring, a well-known um, HR specialist in, in the legal world, and, and they received a load of documents. And from that, they were able to find that Sarah Durkin, who was the vice chair of the Abbey, and who'd been, a, you know, she, she, more recently, she'd been a SOC Dem candidate for Dublin Bay South. She brought on the kind of, onto the Abbey board to help them prove, you know, how their treatment of, of women. And she'd been speaking to some of the people who signed the open letter, the original, you know, complaint letter, 312 people. And in, in speaking to one of those actresses, she said, do you know about Graham's behaviour, you know, and this kind of what would be called bullying and harassment behaviour? And Durkin said no. And so initially there was no complaint. But then Sarah Durkin came back. We know for this is in the uh, correspondence and said, you have two options here. Basically, you someone will make a complaint on your behalf and you can do it anonymously or you have to make a complaint yourself and go through a, a formal process. And she would go on and tell the investigator that if she'd known that she would have been given that kind of ultimatum. She didn't know if she would have said what she did initially to Sarah Durkin. And Gray McLaren is aghast at this. When he learned about that, he very much thought that was improper. I had to read it a number of times. I didn't quite, I couldn't quite believe it. I couldn't quite make sense of it. I have to say at this point, I'm not an HR expert, but I would understand that if a complaint was made against someone, the very first person that one should speak to is the person for whom the complaint is made against. So I was perhaps 20 in that line. So I was confused as to why I was the last to find out. I, I am completely confounded by all of this. The Abbey had Arthur Cox on board and when Donald Spring complained, he said this was fully appropriate. Sarah Durkin had been advised legally by Arthur Cox. The board had been informed fully of what was happening by Sarah Durkin. And so at all stages, they were guided by the kind of Abbey policy and legal advice and everything she did in talking to those people who ultimately did make formal complaints was appropriate. But it was amazing looking at the paper trail that the, the formal complaints didn't land through SIP2 slash Equity, the Actors Union, until March 1st. 2019, but the Abbey are basically in talks with Sarah Durkin and also Francis Rouen with Equity about, you know, when's this going to land, how's it going to happen for over a month, you know, so uh, unusual circumstances to the genesis of these complaints. And it's also the case that when McLaren found out, he was told that journalists were chasing the story as well. The day he found out, he says, you know, he was told the Irish Times and were chasing it and they ultimately would publish the story mid to late March of that year, you know, and so it very much got out very quickly, you know, and like the Arts Council had been briefed. His partner, Neil Murray, also found out that day kind of by accident through a letter from the Arts Council to the Abbey Board saying, oh, thanks for informing us of this very delicate situation. So, yeah, and and this is their big concern that they, they thought, well, there's, there's a lot more foot here. There's connections and 
things going on. People are briefing against us in the background or briefing against Graham in the background. And, you know, there's connections going back to kindergarten days and stuff's leaking out. McLaren very much thought these bullying and harassment complaints were part of a wider kind of, you know, the open letter. When that open letter came out, he said people were going on the radio saying, you know, oh, he's pocketing money. He's a known liar. So he thought it was very much, these are all, his, his, his stance was always, these are unsubstantiated complaints. It was so absurd. It, I didn't believe that anybody could genuinely believe this. Uh, I, 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 so I personally, I wasn't angry, I, I wasn't upset, but I fully expected that, that, that my employer would have stepped in and, and put some boundaries around that. But that, of course, never happened, which led to this kind of runaway train where there was open season on, on both myself and Neil. These bullying complaints are just yet more of this mad stuff that's been thrown at us since this open letter hit the, the newsstands, I suppose. And you've interviewed Graham McLaren for this piece. What were his reaction to the details of the complaints? Confusion, I think. He said he didn't understand this. He thought it was doublespeak. You know, he, he spoke about, you know, people being nice to him at his face and getting on with him. He'd leave the room. They'd say... Oh, what a bastard, you know. And then he he come back in and they'd be all like, oh, hey, how you doing, Graham? You know, so he said, out of this, he just lost all trust for people, you know. So it shook him to his core. I was worried because uh, it's an expensive thing and uh, it became very clear that my previous employer was not going to pay my legal bills or, uh, or use the insurance, the Abbey's own insurance, to cover me. So... I was I was expected to pay for the two years of uh, an investigation, uh, which I was assured would take eight weeks. It was a long process. He was initially told it would be an eight-week investigation, but it got so legalistic. He was told by the Abbey to, to bring on Donald Spring, and you know Donald Spring did his job. Can we get some discovery on this? Can we cross-examine these women? You know, he's he he was not accepting their. What, complaints were valid. The investigator got sick for a while and the whole thing, like the Abbey fought against releasing that kind of paper trail, you know, that would have shown how the complaints came about. So next thing, the whole thing dragged out for two years and ultimately the women pulled out because they wouldn't comply with the discovery order from the investigator and they didn't want to do the cross-examination. So they were left as unsubstantiated complaints and he was completely cleared then by the Abbey saying, and, and, and received a private apology saying we, we apologise for the distress and everything. Like at one stage he was carried out of the Abbey in, on a, in an ambulance because of the stress, you know, and he had to take, go to hospital. Um, so an incredibly uh, stressful period for him and he's, you know, still suffering the ramification now. And the reason I suppose that they were happy to speak to me is because there are ongoing investigations still. Like they left in 2021, the bills are still flying up for the Abbey. Uh, there's an ongoing Crow Ireland investigation that we're told is due within weeks. But it's remarkable as well that, you know, we have all these investigations, Oireachtas investigations that are falling over each other, the Arts Committee and Public Accounts Committee to look into RTE. But since that hearing on the open letter in 2019, none of those committees have gone near the Abbey and looked at, you know, the corporate governance issues here and the, the, the serious financial concerns, you know, where these bills are totting up to where they're over a million euro now. That's what I was going to ask you. Can you tell us a little bit about how much this is costing them in legal fees? 
McLaren did receive a €110,000 settlement, I suppose, which is a, a year's salary for him and his co-director, uh, roughly. Um, that was for the, the stress and hardship that he went through over the, the, the uns, what, what were unsubstantiated bullying allegations. What was interesting was that before that open letter arrived, Francis Rouen, they said, was supportive of them going for another five-year term. So the two lads did go amid all the controversy they're saying look they, they they fought on they had a very successful tenure they went for a second period when they advertised for that and they felt that was very unfairly handled the whole recruitment process there was the interview panels were nearly all board members who they said witnessed them getting bullied at board level so they did complain about that Neil Murray complained about that a, n- a number of aspects of the the timing of releases you know there was public reports that they were leaving even though they were actually trying to stay on they got settlements for that about 65,000 euro each Arthur Cox the last bill I've seen their costs for the Abbey were 181,000 that's that's three years ago and I know like they've got Burn Wallace in there as well and a second firm advising them on freedom of information requests and dealing with that and dealing with other aspects of this What's frustrating for me is that we know that money is incredibly tight in the theatre industry, especially in Ireland. The Abbey is lucky. The Abbey is the single biggest recipient of Arts Council funding. You know, it gets almost 50% of the general theatre pot or something like that. Um, Those costs have escalated, um, I believe, to somewhere in the region now of somewhere around 700,000 euro in legal, in legal or, consult, or consultancy costs. These have been openly discussed since June of 2020. And here we are in almost February 2024, and the costs are still rising and nobody seems accountable for it. So the legal bills are mounting. Like Donald Spring had the investigator, you know, she had substantial costs as well. Just extraordinary kind of running bills. And the bill is, is still mounting on this. It's very complicated. There's an awful lot going on there. So it, it, it makes sense that the two co-directors wanted to speak with you to put their side of the story forward and clarify some of the things from their side. But where are they now and how do they reflect on their time at the Abbey? McLaren hasn't worked in theatre since. I've not worked a single day in the theatre industry since I left the Abbey. And that, and I, I came to the Abbey after a 25-year career where I'd never been unemployed. Which is remarkable, someone whose you know, whole life has been theatre. Neil Murray is covering maternity leave on a theatre down in Coventry. So he has worked in other places, but he, spoken, he spoke to me about going for a job in London and next thing he, he was offered it. Suddenly I was told as a result of uh, an article that's seen in the Phoenix, um, that they were reconsidering that, and I would now have to go. That what, and they, they were now going, going to go to an open uh, application process, to which again I was welcome to, to participate in. But effectively, a job had been offered to me and taken away. Both of them have feel that they've been unfairly tainted by all this. And meanwhile, Catherine Martin reappointed Francis Duran in, in, in 2022 for a two-year term, so that expires in July this year. So it, in a way, that was kind of a, an endorsement of her tenure. Aside from the two guys, like there have been other people raising red flags about the Abbey. And we reported at the weekend that a very senior person in the Abbey put in a protective disclosure to Catherine Martin just in March last year, complaining that elements of the board in the Abbey are trying to direct people to stick to an agreed narrative. And that is away, you know, this is long after the two guys from Scotland have, have departed the scene stage, right? And my thanks to Mark Ty. I'm Tabitha Monaghan, and today's episode of the Indo Daily was produced by Ian Doyle, researched by Maeve McTaggart, with sound by Gavin Hennessy. 
archive clips from RTE Radio 1, RTE News, Oireachtas TV and The Sunday Independent. If you enjoy the Indo Daily, don't forget to like, follow and leave us a review. This week on Crime World... There was a Republican police from 1920. I mean, the IRA was effectively trying to run an underground government. And actually, there was a crime wave. 1919, 1920, there's a wave of bank robberies, post office robberies, robberies of individuals, robberies of pubs in Dublin and in rural areas as well. So the IRA tried to actually clamp down on that. They, on occasion, solving bank robberies and giving the money back to the banks. Now, I'm Nicola Talent, and you can listen to my podcast, Crime World, wherever you get your podcasts.